super good to be with you this morning. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. We are close to the end of walking through this great book of first, or 2 Peter this morning, so you go ahead and find your place there. We're going to walk through chapter 3 in just a minute, but I want you to do something, a little audience participation this morning is this. <clears throat> if you are ready to study God's Word, I want you to say, Maranatha. Okay, that was pretty good. That was a little weak. Let's try it again, because you thought I was going to say amen or something like that, right? Something we always say. If you're ready to study God's Word, I want you to say Maranatha. Do you know what you just said? You said Maranatha. What in the world does that mean? We said that because you may not know this, but in the early church, when believers would greet one another, they would often greet one another with the phrase Maranatha. And Maranatha meant, same thing it means now, it simply means, come Lord Jesus. So what you were saying as we open up to 2 Peter chapter 3 is a prayer and a common expression in the early church. It was what their hope was set in is there would be a day when the Lord Jesus would come. Come Lord Jesus. And that's what the Apostle Peter is talking about here in chapter 3. He's reminding these early disciples, uh, this early church of this promise that had been given by Jesus himself that there was going to be a day that he was going to visibly, literally return to the earth and make all things new and make all things right. See, now Peter, the one that's writing this letter, heard this promise directly from the lips of Jesus himself. Peter was transformed because there was a day earlier in his ministry, and we're not going to take the time to look there, but there was a day when the disciples who were walking with Jesus were really troubled. Anybody troubled today? They were agitated and they were disturbed and they were worried about something. It tells us all about it in John 14, you don't have to turn there, but they were worried about what they saw going on around them. The disciples of Jesus, they were unsettled by the political environment they saw and the oppression of the Romans. They were really disturbed because Jesus had dropped a bombshell in John chapter 14. And Jesus said to these disciples who he had been walking with for three and a half years, he said, guys, I want you to know something, I'm going away. I'm leaving. And he was talking about the cross. He was talking about the resurrection. He was talking about his ascension. He was talking about when he would leave the earth literally and physically. He said, I'm going to send my spirit. But all the disciples heard was, I'm going away. I'm going away. And then they gained great strength by what he said after that, John 14, 1 and 3. And again, you have to look it up. I'm just going to read it to you. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you. Now listen to what Jesus said. I will come again. That's good news this morning, brothers and sisters. The disciples in that day never got over that promise. They held on to that promise from the very lips of Jesus. I will come again. The disciples never got over it. 
John writes about it in his letter. He says, we know that when Jesus appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. John never got over the promise. James never got over the promise. He says in James chapter 5 verse 8, you also be patient Establish your hearts, why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. James never got over the promise. Peter never gets over this promise that he heard from the Lord Jesus. He holds on to it. Back in 1 Peter, you remember, as we walked through 1 Peter earlier in the year, he begins that letter, uh, 1 Peter 1.13, he says, Set your hope fully on what the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus you fix your hope on the promise Jesus made he is coming again Peter never got over the promise so as we come to chapter 3 of 2nd Peter the letter of Peter he's writing to a group of disciples who they knew the promise of Jesus but they had drifted from it He's writing, he says, I want to spur you on, I want to stir you up, I want to, by way of reminder, I want this promise of Jesus to be so set in your mind, watch, that when the scoffers come with their scoffing, you won't be unsettled. He says the naysayers are going to come, and remember the whole letter of 2 Peter's about those false teachers that are going to come with their false teaching, leaving you unstable. In chapter 3, he's particularly dealing with a lie that they said, denying the reality of the second coming of Jesus altogether. And Peter writes to remind the disciples then, watch, and the disciples today, where have you set your hope? And he goes there in chapter 3. I want to read the first 10 verses. We began last week. We're going to continue on with a few big ideas today. So just follow along with me. I'm going to read a few verses here in chapter 3. As Peter writes to spur on. To call them to reminder of what Jesus has promised. As they continue to journey in faithfulness as a follower of Christ. So chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Peter writes. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. He says, in both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Now, I want you to stop right there. I hope you catch that. I hope that's a challenge to you as a disciple and in our church as a disciple maker. Watch. Don't miss what Peter does here. Peter is observing something in the lives of these disciples that he wants to help restore in them. Remember, the work of a disciple maker, what do we do? We build one another up. We observe what's going on in one another's lives. Peter has observed, you knew something, now it needs to be strengthened. It needs to be restored. We do that for one another. Peter's going to do that here. He says, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. Verse 2. He said that you should remember the predictions or the promises of the holy prophets. That you would remember the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. What promise is he talking about? He's talking about specifically when Jesus, the prophets, really the entire Bible looks to that day. When the day of the Lord will come. He says you've forgotten it. You've drifted. 
He says, I want you to know this first of all, that scoffers are going to come in the last days. We are in the last days. They're going to come with scoffing, following their own desires. We talked about it last week. Scoffers are going to be scoffing, right? That's what they do. He says, don't you be surprised by that. Talked about that a little bit last week. I think that's incredibly helpful for us. Scoffers are going to scoff. In other words, don't you be left unstable, brothers and sisters, when the world mocks and trashes what we treasure as followers of Christ. Don't be surprised by that. Said scoffers, they're going to scoff. Verse 4, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? Where is he? He's not here. You're hanging your hat on this. You're hanging your hope on this. He didn't come last week, didn't come yesterday, hadn't come today. It's been years. Where is he? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, back in the past, they, they say all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water. How? By the power of the word of God. They forget that. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged by water and perished. We talk about that. They forgot about the flood. They forgot about God's power in the flood. Verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Verse 8, do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Verse 9. This is where we're going to camp out this morning, verse 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. We'll talk about that. But He is patient toward you. <clears throat> Not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and its works that are done in it will be exposed. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Now, we said last week we're going to have a big truth that's going to guide us through this. I'll just give you this reminder, quick review of where we were last week. Here's your big truth. The day of the Lord will come. That's a promise. We saw last week that P Peter clearly teaches your big idea. One last week was false teachers are going to deny the return of Jesus. Those that are teaching falsehood are going to deny the literal physical return of Jesus. And why not? Because the judgment that will be accompanied is horrifying to them. There'll be judgment. So if I'm a false teacher and I don't even believe the Bible, of course I'm going to try to deny the reality of the return of Jesus and the judgment that will come. False teachers will deny the return of Jesus. They'll deny it through ridicule. They'll deny it through mocking. They'll, they're driven by their own lust. They reject reality. False teachers deny the return of Jesus. Peter's writing with that in mind. Then Peter goes on and he reminds us of this from last week. God's people, however, fix our hope on the return of Jesus. Peter says, I want to remind you. Remember what God's word says. 
I want to remind you, remember the nature of God, His sovereignty, His eternality. You fix your hope on the promise of His return. The day of the Lord will come. And we spent a little bit of time there last week. And today I want to take you a little further. I want us to dive into verses 9 and 10. I wanted us to settle into a couple realities. We're just going to have two big ideas this morning. Say, just two, just two. But I want you to ponder and meditate with me on these great realities. Because here's what Peter's going to do. He's going to end this little section leading up to verse 10. And he's going to hold out some attributes of who God is that I want us to see in all of their glory this morning. Peter continues on and he says, here's your next big idea. I'm going to take this from verse 9. He says, false teachers going to be denying. God's people were going to be holding on to this promise. And then he says this, big idea number three. God's patience is on display while we wait for the return of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I don't think we... Give due diligence and attention to verse 9 to rejoice in the Lord's long-suffering and His patience that every moment that He delays in His return is an act of incredible patience. Read verse 9 with me again. He says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. He says, but he, the Lord, is patient toward you. He is not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So you have to remember, in this day, as Peter is writing to these believers in this day, they literally lived each day expecting, today's the day the Lord is going to come. I mean, I said that at the beginning, but that was a greeting among the early believers of Maranatha because they lived every morning waking up with this anticipation. They're these first generation of believers, and rightly so. Today could be the day that Jesus comes and makes everything right. Come, Lord Jesus. They lived with that keen expectation. And through the scoffers, and as time continued on, their their senses to that began to be a little bit dulled. And each day that the Lord did not return gave ammunition to the scoffers. Did he come today? No. Didn't come today. Where's the promise of his coming? Maybe he's just indifferent. Maybe he just doesn't care, they would say. Maybe he's just passive and, and he really would like to come but he's unable. Or, or maybe God's timing is just off. Or maybe you've just missed it all together with each passing day. So you can sense almost this scorn and ridicule these early believers were under from these false teachers. So Peter comes back and he wants to help rightly interpret every day that the Lord delays. Because the scoffers were misinterpreting every day. Every day that the Lord delayed, it was, well, he he must not be able to keep his promise. He must be passive. He must be indifferent. He must be unable. Peter writes, I want you to rightly see each day that the Lord delays. Let me me give you a quick illustration of this. It's very easy for us to misinterpret the delays of the Lord in our own lives, isn't it? 
was in Africa a few weeks ago, and my daughter Olivia and I were able to go there working with our partner. You guys know about that, our IMB partner there in Africa. And there was an instance where I was deeply convicted because I totally misinterpreted a delay. So we were gathered there that Sunday morning, and we were under the tree in Africa, and that's where you gather for worship. And listen, church in Africa starts uh, like, you know, when everybody gets there. That's kind of the way it works. That's not the way it starts here, by the way. 9.30 a.m., 11, that's when we start. But anyway, so the service was going on. The service is like halfway over. It's nearing the end. And, And man, constantly there are people coming up out of the harvest fields, and they're walking, and they're getting there throughout the whole service. And I'm sitting there with my Western mindset, and I'm thinking, man, these people's delay. They must be unfaithful. They must be lazy. They're not even really godly. They get here late until someone pulled me aside and said, no, 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 you don't even understand. The reason those people are late, it takes them somewhere. They have to walk two to three miles to even get here every morning. Listen, if you have to walk three miles to get here and you're a little late for the service, we give you a little bit of grace. In my heart, I was really convicted because I realized, man, I misinterpreted that delay. And one guy even said, you know the people that are here early? Yeah, there were some people here early. Oh, they came last night and spent the night so they could be on time for the service. Wow. I say all that to say one of the things we do in our humanness is we misinterpret delays. We often misinterpret the delays of the Lord. How many times in your life have said, Lord, I want something. I want it now. Lord, you've got to give it to me. And the Lord delays. The Lord waits in his patience. And we forget God's patience is always an act of his sovereign redemption. God knows best. His timing is always perfect. But man, we hate to wait. So here, God's delay in his return is being greatly misinterpreted. So Peter aims to correct their distorted view of his delay. He says, the Lord is not slow. The Lord's timing is never wrong. His counsel will stand whether it works on your timetable or not. In fact, he says, he is never slow, verse 9, to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Like the scoffers want to count slowness. Doesn't work that way. Okay? Then help me to rightly interpret the delay of the Lord. Peter does that, middle of verse 9. The reason he delays... The reason he has not yet returned, the reason the clock seems to keep ticking from our perspective is one reason. God is patient toward you. Brothers and sisters, that's a glorious reality of the character of God. I want you to just get your mind around that big idea this morning. God's patience is on display while we wait for the return of the Lord Jesus. Sometimes when you're reading in your Bible and you're studying along and you come to a verse like verse 9, I encourage you to get your pen, mark a certain phrase, and just meditate and spend time there. Get the cross-references. Camp out. Peter is declaring a great attribute of our God. He does not delay. His timing is always perfect. If there is a delay from our human perspective, it is an act of sovereign, gracious patience from our great, patient God. Hallelujah. 
So if you were to spend some time just meditating and camping out on this verse, verse 9, maybe you would do a word study of this word patient. Maybe circle that in your Bible this morning. Okay, Peter, what do you mean that God and His character is patient? And how does that apply here? How does that apply to us today? The word patient as it's used here is a beautiful word. Here's what it means. It means to be long-suffering. It means to have the capacity to endure ill treatment or wrongs when brought up against you. You could take it a step further. It says this. It is the definition or the characteristic of one who has the right to take revenge who has the right to seek payback, but who utterly refuses to do so. It is one who has a capacity to absorb much ill treatment, much wrong brought against them, but is able to suffer long, long suffering, endure. That is a characteristic of our God. And I'm just telling you, knowing my sin and knowing your sin, thank God for the long suffering of our God. One who has the right to take revenge, but chooses to not do so. One who has the right to call for immediate justice, but chooses to not do so out of great patience. Let me give you some examples of this. 1 Corinthians 13.4, right? The love chapter we all like. You think it's a wedding verse. Here's what it says. First characteristic of genuine love. What is it? Love is patient. Characteristic of love is this very attribute of God here that's demonstrated in 2 Peter. That's this idea that love does not love does not immediately call for retribution or love has the capacity to absorb much before it reacts. That's the characteristic of God. He is patient toward you. He is patient toward us. Romans chapter 2 verse 4, Paul says, "Or do you not or Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. The notion that you ever get away with something and maybe God just didn't notice is absolutely false. The reason God doesn't often react is because he is acting in perfect patience toward you, toward me, drawing and calling us to continual repentance. 1 Timothy 1, Paul says this. He recognizes the patience of the Lord. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 16, he says, but... I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus might display his perfect patience. See, if you're a child of God this morning, you've experienced the great grace of God and the forgiveness that is in Christ. And you are a trophy of the great perfect patience of King Jesus. Thank you for your patience, Lord. And Peter is saying to these disciples then and the disciples today, I want you to rightly interpret 
even with the scoffers who are scoffing, they're trying to turn the Lord's delay upside down and, and even call the Lord's character into question. He says it's the exact opposite. Every moment, every day, every week that the Lord delays is an act of glorious redemptive patience on His part. The Lord is patient toward you. Praise His name. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some would count slowness. But He is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish but all should come to repentance. So this morning we see that and we see that the Lord's patience is on display. And we just need to stop and ask ourselves, okay, when I read this and I see Peter turning my perspective on the Lord's delays, maybe the delays in my life, the delays certainly in his return. I wake up every morning and I see it differently. The Lord hasn't come today, but he is. Lord, another day of your patience, of your long suffering. Let me give you a few, days, a few ways we respond. How do you respond to the great patience that the Lord has put on display here in 2 Peter chapter 3? Let me give you three or four ways. Number one is we interpret God's delays as His sovereign, merciful, redemptive patience. Interpret the delay of His return. Interpret delays in your own life. Interpret what seems to be God's indifference, knowing the sovereign hand of God as a patient act of redemption, a patient act of grace in your life. That's the way Peter interprets it, by the way. 2 Peter 3.15, we'll get there in a few day, or a few weeks. He says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul, brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Count the patience of the Lord. Count it as God's grace, God's wisdom. So one way is to interpret God's delays as an act of redemptive patience. Number two, and, and let me just say this with all the mercy in my heart I can say to some of you in this room. Recognizing and seeing the patience of the Lord, here, here's what I'm begging you to do today. Run to Jesus. See, I know and you know there are some in this room, even in our church, who for whatever reason are delaying. And you know what the gospel says and you know what the message of the cross is. And somehow you're clinging because you love your own sin or you're clinging to your own righteousness. And somehow, watch this, you are interpreting the delay of the Lord as, well, I got plenty of time. The Lord is going to come sometime in the future. And Peter says, no, it is a day of patience and mercy toward you. If you are here, brothers and sisters, and you are delaying, you are waiting to give your life to Jesus Christ and receive the gift of grace and mercy that he purchased for you on the cross. Here's the message from me and from this church that loves you. Today, run to Jesus. With each day that you wake up is his great patience toward you today. Thirdly, interpret God's delay as patience. Secondly, return to Jesus. Thirdly, for all of us this morning, if you read this and you understand this, here's the call of God, I think, on our lives this morning. Run to the lost around you. Listen, I can't tell you how deeply convicted I was even this week. I mentioned it last week as we were looking at it. It became so crystal clear to me this week. You read this as the patience of the Lord with each day that the sun rises and the Lord delays His return that He's promised, what names come to your mind, brothers and sisters, that don't know Jesus? 
Maybe even right now as you're sitting there in your seat, you're taking notes, you write down the name of that person that comes to your mind. Because you know what the fact is? The Lord did not return today. He may, but right now He hasn't. That is one more day that you have to take the message of the gospel to that neighbor, that loved one, that person. Write their names down. And it ought, to be, it ought to be this motivation for us to say, yes, I have one more day to take the message to Joe or Bill or Sally, whoever that is. And you go to them and say, listen, I was deeply convicted. I know the patience of the Lord, that if the Lord had returned yesterday, you would not spend eternity with Him in heaven, but in a place called hell. Could we talk about the gift of God? You run to the lost around you. And then I think a fourth response for us this morning is not only how we see God's delays, not only how we don't know Jesus, we, we run to Jesus this morning, I pray, we run to the lost, and finally is this, recognize and repent of our own lack of patience in our lives. <laughs> this is one of those practical applications in sanctification as we're being made more like Jesus. You read this, that God is long-suffering, God is patient. One commentator said this, one cannot consistently claim to follow a God who is patient and slow to anger if one himself is constantly impatient and quick to anger with others around you. Does my life as a follower of Christ demonstrate the great long-suffering and patience of the Lord Jesus? Colossians 3, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. So Peter says to these disciples, Okay, I, I want to... Twist your view of the delay of the Lord. It is an act of His great patience. With each passing day that the Lord does not return, His great long suffering is on display. But the day of the Lord will come. Now I want to continue on. Pick back up in verse 9. I'm going to give you one more big idea and we're going to be finished. So Peter says again verse 9, The Lord's not slow. He's going to fulfill His promise. He's patient toward you. He's not wishing that any should perish the heart of God, but that you would come to repentance. This patience of the Lord. And Peter's celebrating that patience. And then he comes to verse 10, and I want you to see this. He says, but. First word in verse 10 is intended to be a significant transition statement where he's saying, yes, the Lord is long-suffering. Yes, the Lord has extended great patience. But there is a day coming and he says verse 10 in great seriousness he says but the day of the Lord will come and he says the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed or as the King James says laid bare everything in darkness will be laid bare and all the evidence will be on the table so I want you to see this big idea. Just as God's delay is His patience, final big idea is this. God's perfect justice will be on display at the return of Jesus. We see this morning, and we celebrate it, and we sing about it, and we should. The patience of the Lord and the long-suffering of the Lord. 
He is patient. He is long-suffering. But I want you to know from the pages of Scripture, God is equally righteous. He is equally just. He is equally holy. And the current period of redemptive patience one day will come to an end, Peter said. God will do and execute what is just. He will do and execute what is right out of His very holy character. His perfect judgment, His perfect justice will be on display at the return of the Lord. Amen? See, that's a meager amen. (laughs) You know why? Because if we were really honest with each other, when the Bible begins to talk about judgment and the idea of perfect justice being carried out on the earth, you know what we do in our humanness? Oh, man, we cringe, right? We just cringe. Just be honest, it's a cringe moment for us. Because in our humanity, we are immersed, and this is just true of me, it's true of you, in our Western culture, and the culture that we're in, we're immersed in a man-centered culture characterized by entitlement, personal autonomy, self-rule. What do you mean one is going to judge me? The snowflake generation that everybody's good and wholesome, and how in the world could God ever judge anybody? Let me just twist that worldview for you a little bit. The Bible, which is our authority, has no problem with the judgment and the justice of God. None. So for you and me, and it's a kind, even this week I'm wrestling, Lord, get my mind and my thinking around what you say about your judgment and you say about your justice, not my own. If we were immersed in the Word of God and see the inexhaustible holiness of our God, His perfect glory, His perfect rule, alongside our egregious sin and offenses, we would cringe, watch this, at the absence of judgment. Let me give you a quick illustration I saw this week from this. See, nobody wants to talk about judgment, and everybody gets really, it's a cringe moment until, watch, somebody wrongs you. <laughs> or somebody carries out a defense on you, and you say, well, they need retribution, they need judgment, somebody going to do something? Why doesn't something happen? Read that in the headlines this week a little bit. It's, it's really a tough story, but if you're keeping up with what's going on in Parkland, Florida, uh, there's many who are crying, Injustice. The killer who went into that school and killed 17 teachers and students, the jury determined that they're not going to execute the death penalty against this guy. And I'm not getting into a political question about what that says. I think the Bible clearly supports that. But now there's this rising up of, no, it's injustice. The man didn't get what he deserved. Because the evidence is so much on the table that when justice is not carried out, the people are in an uproar. See, for us, we immerse ourselves in a man-centered culture instead of the glory of God, knowing that He will do justly, He will do rightly, He will return, and the evidence will be on the table. If we knew that and understood that, we would cringe at the idea of God. Come and bring justice. And the idea of injustice would make us cringe. God's perfect justice will be on display at the return of Christ. Now look at verse 10 with me. We're going to walk through this very quickly and bring it to a close. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Yeah, a thief. The idea is it's going to come when you least expect it. 
Peter's countering that idea of the way you see the patience of the Lord. Well, the Lord's not come for a while. He's not coming for a lot longer. We got plenty of time. There's no big deal. I think I know how it's all going to play out. He says, no, no, no. It's going to come like a thief. There will be a day when the Lord returns. It's going to be with a surprise arrival, sudden, unexpected, and disastrous to those who are unprepared. He says, verse 10, the heavens are going to pass away with a roar. The idea of heavens here is the idea of the known universe. There really wasn't a word in this language for universe, so heavens is the idea of the known universe. The roar is the sound that is made as things are consumed in a flame. Now Jesus said the same thing, Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away. He says, my word will never pass away. Know what's temporary and know what is eternal. He said, the heavens and earth are going to pass away. Heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The basic atomic level, things are going to disintegrate. Interesting, this word dissolved here in your Bible is the word literally to loose, to let go. If you read that in contrast to Colossians chapter 1, it says currently Jesus is, opposite word, holding all things together by the word of his power. And then you come to 2 Peter and say, but there is a day when all things are going to be, whoop, let go. When's that going to happen? Well, it's going to happen tomorrow if you don't stop using hairspray. No, it's going to happen at the decree of King Jesus. He's holding it together. And at his command, it's going to let go. All things are going to be dissolved. All things are going to let go, as he said. Hebrews chapter 1, you don't have to turn there. I came across this passage. I want to just read this to you really quickly. It kind of brings all these things together in beautiful language. Hebrews 1 verse 10 says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Verse 11, they will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. And the word there is almost like a scroll. That right now, all of history, all of creation has been rolled out like a scroll. But there's a day he's going to roll it back up. He says like a garment, they will be changed. It's going to transform everything from what it is into what it is supposed to be. We'll talk about that next week in the new creation. New heavens, new earth. What's that like? We're going to talk about that next week. But here the author of Hebrews says, as those things perish and those things dissolve, you remain the same and your years will never end. In other words, know what is eternal and know what is temporary. You and I live in a disposable universe. And we'll talk more about this next week. Everything you can see with your human eye currently is temporary. All the things we argue and fight and want more of and I want to collect this and I want these things one day are going to end up in a landfill. They're temporary. But the Lord and His Word and His counsel will remain. Know what is temporary. Know what is eternal in your life. Verse 10, in the earth and its works. Here's the last thing I want us to see this morning. He said the, the day of the Lord's going to come. Here's what's going to happen to the known universe. Here's what's going to be dissolved. Here's what's going to let go. And he's going to recreate everything for his glory. Again, we'll talk about that next week. But then he ends, end of verse 10. I want you to see this. He says, And the earth and the works that are done on it will be, here's your word, exposed. You can circle that word. You can mark that word. Here's what that means. King James, I think, gets it right. Laid bare. On display. In other words, one of the things about the reality of 
The return of Jesus is, yes, the known world is going to be transformed. Judgment will come. But everything that has been done in the dark, everything that has been hidden, everything we think is secret, there will be a day. All the works of men will be fully exposed and the evidence will be on the table. Jesus said it this way, Luke chapter 12, verse 2. He says, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. There's nothing hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear and in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. Imagine that conversation you had that you thought nobody knew about. Jesus says, one day it'll be proclaimed on the housetop. Everything will be exposed. What's the point? The point is this, at the return of Jesus, Danny Aiken said it best, when Christ comes, it will be clear that God is acting with righteous judgment against sin, just as he said he would. The evidence will be overwhelming. And he will act in perfect judgment and perfect justice, and that will be on display for the world now. How do we respond to this? And I'll close. Team can come on up. Just begin to play. I don't want you to check out. I don't want you to put your stuff away. Just hang with me. All right. So we've heard this, that the patience of the Lord is on display in His delay. We have heard that there is a day coming when His perfect justice and judgment will be on display when, his, when he returns and then he will make all things new again we'll talk about that next week but here's my question I'm going to close with this just the team comes and begins to play who does the Bible say will actually be the judge at the end of days who's going to carry out that judgment well, according to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, here's what it says. It's not even the Father judges anyone. He has given all judgment to the Son. Now watch this. There's a day of perfect judgment coming. The one who will execute and oversee that perfect judgment. You know who, is it? You know who it is? King Jesus Christ. And the good news is, the one who has all authority and is the standard of perfection and righteousness, the one who has authority to carry out all judgment and justice, watch this, is the same one who has taken your judgment upon himself on the cross. That is glorious. So for those who are operating still in their own righteousness, and their own sin, and their own rebellion, and are resisting repenting and turning their lives over to Jesus there is a certain eternity at that judgment the Bible is very clear about that those who are resisting the gospel those who are not trusting in Christ those who say no to the gift of salvation by faith through Jesus the Bible is very clear and I'm just going to read this what is judgment like for those who do not know Christ Matthew 25, Jesus says, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He says there's a certain destiny for those who reject Christ. 
But at the same time, because Jesus is your righteous judge and he is your righteous sin bearer to those who are in Christ, we say, come Lord Jesus. And Jesus says to those in the same passage, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world come Lord Jesus every sin paid for every injustice you've committed laid on his account so that you will stand before the king because of his righteousness and we can say come Lord Jesus and enter into the glory of your father and we can say come what may until that day And we can say, come Lord Jesus. And until then, because of the gift and the righteousness of King Jesus, we can say, it is well with my soul. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this word. God, this is a heavy word. It's a tough word, but it is a joyous word for those who are in Christ. And it is a word of great warning for those who resist. God, I pray you'll open our eyes to this truth and Lord, call us to action and obedience. Call those to faith that do not know you. And Lord, those of us who do, God, let us fix our hope on the day of the Lord that will come. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.